Since the acts of terror that ended or forever changed the lives of hundreds of Israelis on October 7th, and really changed the world for that matter, I found myself coming back to a simple question time and time again. One that applies to not only this now catastrophic situation in the Middle East, but really to any big topic out there. Is there ever a right side to an argument? Now here's the tricky part about being a host who prides herself on the ability and the desire to see both sides of any given issue. Sometimes I do feel like there's a right and a wrong and how in the world could I square giving voice to a quote unquote wrong side in this or any story? So let's start with what I know, things that are right. Peace, respecting people's innate rights to freedom and religion preserving systems that place life over destruction or death. Wrong? Terrorism. The taking of innocent lives, especially children and women, even in the pursuit of what some may call a noble goal. So here's where I've been for the past, really almost two months. How in the world do I cover this issue? How do I try to see both sides of a story where there are such clearly defined wrongs and rights? Now, to me, the two sides in this story are terrorism and democracy. Now, you may not agree with that. Maybe you see it through the lens of geopolitics or borders or historical fights over land. So here's what I won't be able to do with this issue. Have the knowledge to approach this topic from those perspectives, the historical or the political perspective. But here's how I know I can show up. Covering this from a human angle. So in introducing these very special episodes of We Gotta Talk, rather than me pontificate on my belief on what's right and wrong, and those who know me know where I stand, let me tell you a little bit more about how I will be covering this issue on the podcast. I summed it up on a recent Instagram post, which I'm going to condense here for clarity and for brevity. This post went up on October 31st. Here goes. What if we found a way to talk through this from more of the human individual perspective? Here's what it would look like. Talking with a Jewish or Israeli person and talking with a Palestinian or Palestinian American person, just normal people, not leaders or party representatives or anyone else with an official title, but rather people who are simply part of their respective communities. In covering this story in a more human way, it feels not only authentic to the ethos of We Gotta Talk, which is making an attempt to see another side of any issue, even when we don't necessarily agree, but it also avoids me attempting to be or track down the ultimate expert in this area, as there are so many with so many differing opinions. So approaching this from the human perspective, I hope, will help us to understand the people behind this conflict, one that I fear is going to engulf minds and more lives far beyond the Middle East. Now, as with other big topics I've covered on this platform, abortion rights, Second Amendment, climate change, I do not expect that this is going to change anyone's firmly held views. I know I feel informed to stand where I stand, and chances are you do too. But talking through this from the human perspective feels like a way to begin to understand multiple perspectives and to move forward with hopefully a different and more peaceful path. 
Okay, now back to a quick programming note before we get started with the episodes. You are going to hear two different episodes, one with an American Jew and another with an American Palestinian. You will notice the format of these episodes is a little different too. I didn't do a traditional interview with either of our guests. I gave them an identical list of questions, which they actually asked themselves while recording. And I even left the room while each of them recorded, giving them only the instructions of just a rough amount of time to speak and the instruction to share from their perspectives, what they want people to know about their story and their community. Now, I want to make it clear, they are not intended to be mouthpieces for the Jewish or Palestinian communities, but rather individuals sharing their stories, their family stories that weave together to underpin this extraordinarily complicated issue. Like I said, maybe you'll walk away with your mind changed in some way. Maybe you won't. But in the interest of living the mission that I always proclaim to support, I am showing up in the best way I know how. Just giving you some food for thought, some perspectives that maybe in your own echo chamber you haven't heard yet. And I sure hope we all come out a little better for it. Welcome to We Gotta Talk. What is your name and where do you live? My name is Lindsay and I live outside of Chicago. What is your family history or tie to your side of this issue? I am a Jewish American woman. All four of my grandparents were born in America, but their families came from Russia and Poland prior to the Holocaust. My maternal grandparents' families came from Rodham, Poland, which is a place where almost all of its Jewish inhabitants were murdered by the Nazis during the Holocaust. So there are there are a list of cities that are like the lost cities. And when you go to Yad Vashem in Israel, you can see the Valley of the Lost Cities and Rodham is actually one of them. And that's where my ancestors came from. I always went to Jewish school on Sundays and eventually I went to Hebrew school during the week after school where, you know, as much as we all hated going to Hebrew school, um, it was where I learned about my religion and my Jewish traditions. And I studied Hebrew and I became a bat mitzvah in 2013. And as I got older, I realized the importance of why I went to Sunday school and Hebrew school, even if um, as a young child, you know, I wanted to be outside playing with my friends. But after my bat mitzvah, my grandma took me and my mom on my first trip to Israel. And it was on this trip that I became acutely aware of the importance of knowing where I came from. And despite the fact that it was, I went to Israel in 1994, 1993, sorry, 1993 or 1994, which was really during the time when suicide bombers were plaguing the nation in defiance of everything that Israel stands for. And despite this, I have never felt so safe in my life. Truly, um, Israel is the Jewish nation, and it is where I am not in the minority, and it is where everyone around me is Jewish, and I can really feel at home. It was in third or fourth grade that I read Lois Lowry's Number of the Stars, which is a book about um, it's 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 a fi- it's a fiction book based on history. It's a, histor- a historical fiction novel for children. Um, And the story takes place during the Holocaust, but this story isn't about the atrocities of the Holocaust. It's about the helpers and it's about the people who stood up for the Jewish people during this dark, dark time in our history. 
in the book, the heroine is actually a 13 year old and she is the one who saves her Jewish friend's family from being deported to the concentration camps. It really is her family that hides them and saves them and gets them across the border to Sweden in the bottom of a boat. But at the end of the story, it is the 13-year-old female character who is the one who saves the day. And from this book, I became fixated on the Holocaust because I couldn't believe that anybody could stand by watching 6 million Jewish people murdered. And well, yes, the the Nazis murdered 6 million Jewish people. There were actually 11 million victims of the Nazis total. So 5 million people were murdered by the Nazis and they were not Jewish. The Nazis goal was a final solution, meaning they wanted to rid the world of everyone who was different from them. They wanted a blonde haired, blue eyed, Aryan perfect race. And so they also murdered disabled people and gay people, gypsies, black people, Jehovah's Witnesses, prisoners of war, and what they called asocials or people who didn't conform to the Nazi norms. And in learning about the Holocaust and really diving into the stories of the Holocaust, I could not believe that it was possible that the world stood by and watched this happen. I've spent a greater part of my life educating myself on the atrocities of the Holocaust and educating others. And in 1997, I traveled to Poland and Israel as a part of a trip called the March of the Living. We visited the concentration camps in Poland. We went to Auschwitz-Birkenau and Majdanek, which is a very um, less known camp, but it was one of the most, I guess, excruciating visits that I've ever um that I've ever taken to anywhere. Um, and I'll get into that in a minute, but we visited the camps and we saw firsthand how the Nazi systematic approach played out really, you know, it, it was planned. This was very planned and it resulted in the murder of millions of people, 6 million Jews and 5 million others, nearly 6 million others. But when I was at Majdanek, what I saw was a death camp in the midi, in the middle of a city in Poland. It's in, it's just outside of Lublin. And when you're in the camp, you can see the city from anywhere in the camp. So that means when you're in the city, you could see the camp. And there were stories shared with us about how people would wake up in the morning and have to wipe ash off their windows. This was human ash. So people in the city had to have known that the cattle cars that were rolling through to the town center and people were getting off them and being taken into this camp and not coming out, that they were being murdered. And when you go to Majdanek, more so than Auschwitz and Birkenau, you see rooms filled with shoes, filled with hair that was shaved off people. You see a there is a large memorial which kind of looks like a bowl. And my trip held hands. So there were probably 60 of us and we didn't even make it all the way around this monument, maybe halfway around the monument. And in the middle of the monument is all of the ash of the human beings that were murdered at Majdanek. Majdanek is hell on earth. And um, as a part of going on this trip, I made a promise to never forget and to make sure that 
This never happened again. During future trips to Europe, I visited other concentration camps and significant places associated with the Holocaust, including Anne Frank's house, to continue my education and really to make good on this promise. Part of this promise is to make sure that this doesn't happen to other people, which is why throughout my life, I've spoken out for marginalized groups constantly when they have been oppressed and discriminated against. To me, knowing what I know about the Holocaust, there really is no other option. And as human beings, we need to stand up for one another and we need to demand equal rights, equal treatment, and we need to stand against any kind of hate. And as the mom of two daughters, it's important to me that they not only see me standing up for others, but they see me standing up for our own people right now during this incredibly challenging time in our history. Why is it important for you to speak up on this? First of all, I want to be clear. It's important that we stand up for any and all marginalized groups. And I said that previously, but for me, that has included standing up for the innocent civilians and especially the kids who have been caught in the crossfire of a war that was started by terrorists and meant to cause harm to its own people for their greater mission. All of the children that are impacted by the Israel-Hamas war, all of them are being oppressed. And all of these children are being oppressed by one oppressor, and that's the terrorists of Hamas. And if you think otherwise, I, I really advise you to do your homework because, like I said, there is one oppressor in this war, and it is the terrorists of Hamas who have said that they will stop at nothing to kill every Jewish person on this planet and to take over the planet with a world of Islamic jihad. Which leads me to my own greater mission. And, you know, can you tell me why, as a Jewish person, I don't have the right to exist? Can you please tell me that? I live in America, a democratic country where I have freedoms to be whoever I want to be. And on October 7th, terrorists invaded Israel and brutally raped and murdered 1,400 innocent civilians, some who have just been identified. That's how severe the brutality was. The terrorists recorded their heinous acts because they want you to know what they did. And as we know, they also took 240 innocent civilians, many children and women hostage. My own nine-year-old said to me when she saw a poster of a baby who had been kidnapped by Hamas, she said, mom, what could anyone ever want with a poor innocent baby? How do you argue that? How do you argue that to a nine-year-old child? And before Israel even started to defend itself after October 7th, the world started its campaign against Jewish people. And since then, Hamas leaders have told the world that they will, in fact, do this again and again and again until all Jewish people are gone and there is no state of Israel. To compare what this attack would look like from Americans, the 3,000 Hamas terrorists who infiltrated Israel would be the equivalent of 102,000 terrorists invading the United States. So can you imagine if 102,000 Mexicans invaded our country because they're the country that lives next to us or 102,000 Canadians invaded our country to annihilate it? 1,400 Israelis who were murdered equate in, pro in proportionality to 47,600 Americans, which is nine times the combined dead of Pearl Harbor and 
Since October 7th, Hamas has launched 8,500 rockets into Israel. In proportionality, if you would compare this to the the United States, that would be 289,000 rockets launched at our country. I want to remind you that Israel is the size of New Jersey. So why am I outspoken? Well, number one, Jewish people have the right to exist. Number two, Israel has the right to exist. And number three, Israel has a right to defend itself without question from these horrific attacks on October 7th. Please tell me, would any other democratic nation or any other nation in this world stand by and not defend itself or try to get its kidnapped people back if their country was attacked the way that Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th? But then what happened in Israel and Gaza has been like giving a hall pass to the world to openly hate Jewish people everywhere. I have always known that anti-Semitism exists, but since October 7th, it's gone from a one to a one billion. But I want to go back to those numbers that I shared about the Holocaust earlier. Because as I said, just about half of the 12 million people murdered by the Nazis were not Jewish at all. If Hamas committed to not only annihilating Israel, but also coming after the Western world as well, how can we stand by? And they will. They have said they want one global religion, Islam, and they will stop at nothing to get it. They have said this, their leaders have said this on broadcast television, and it's been repeated time and time again. The Holocaust started with propaganda and with hate and with an extremist government pushing their agenda on their citizens. Before you knew it, their citizens were believing them. And look what happened. But today, Germany is one of the greatest allies of Israel. They they were the first nation who came out in support of Israel after October 7th. And they are one of the greatest allies of the Jewish people in the world. Why do you think that is? I have vowed and committed to teaching people never again and never again is now. Everyone must be speaking out about this because they are coming for Jewish people now. But if you're American, you better believe that they'll be coming for you too. And this is far greater than Israel versus Hamas. And that's why I'm speaking out. What is one stereotype about your side that you wish to dispel? I just want to say there's a lot of stereotypes that I'd like to dispel, but Jewish people are not murderers. And I have been called this so many times since October 7th. First of all, Israel, like any nation, has a right to, de- to defend itself after being attacked so brutally by terrorists. Hamas knew that they would retaliate this way, and that's why they attacked in this manner. This was very calculated. They don't believe in the sanctity of life, and they will sacrifice themselves and their own people for their cause. The more of their people die to them, the better, so that they can turn around and blame Israel to the rest of the world. People who are Jewish value life and want peace. And in fact, Israel has tried many times. But you can't have peace with people who don't want peace and who only want what works for them. That said, look at any pro-Israel or rally for anti-Semitism, against anti-Semitism right now. Do you see violence? Do you see burning flags? Do you see anyone calling for the death and genocide of another group of people? You don't. And when many have accused Jewish people 
as such, <laughs> I've asked for videos. People have come at me and said, that's not true. Jewish people are monsters. Jewish people have done this and have done that. And I've asked for the videos to prove it. And I've yet to see one rally in the Western world causing such havoc as many of these pro-Palestinian rallies. I don't know another military in this world who would spend three weeks telling civilians where they were going to drop bombs or moving people out of war-torn regions while their own government is launching missiles and firing at them when they're trying to leave. When you look back at what's going on at rallies globally on both sides, they are vastly different. Jewish people want to simply be alive. We want to be alive and we want to live our lives and do so peacefully. And we want our hostages back. Many in the pro-Palestinian corner want every single Jewish person dead. At least they're carrying the sign saying such at rallies all over the world, in Toronto, in Montreal, in London, in Washington, D.C., in New York City. And they want a genocide of Jewish people. And they're saying this at the rallies. They are using the term genocide to say what they want done with Jews. And they want a final solution, which is no Jewish people and no Israel. Jewish people don't want this of the other side. And that is the stereotype I want to dispel. If they did, Israel would simply drop a bomb on Gaza and wipe the whole thing out. They would not take the time and consideration and the care to get all of these civilians, as many as they possibly can, away from the places where the terrorists have infiltrated themselves and embedded themselves among civilians. Is there something about the conflict that no one is talking about that you think is important for people to hear? So there's two things that people are not talking about. Number one is there is so much information. I don't think that people understand how much misinformation there is in regards to this war. The news is not necessarily covering this objectively. They're not sharing a lot of the atrocities that have occurred. And there are a lot of accounts that say that they are news organizations or they're calling themselves media, but they are not covering this from a middle-of-the-road objective standpoint, sharing both sides of what's going on. There are so many people sharing videos of propaganda and of lies, and there, there are a lot of bots out there. There are a lot of bots that have been created to push out misinformation and push out propaganda about Jewish people and really sharing the pro-Hamas agenda. The other thing that people aren't talking about is the sheer disrespect that I have witnessed throughout all of this. When I look in my DMs and when I look at many of the comments that I've hidden from public view, the way that people are talking to me and others on the internet behind a screen is simply disgusting. The way that young people are talking to each other on college campuses is disgusting. I have been told to fuck off. I've been called a whore. I have been, there have been horrible things said about my family. I could never imagine such hatred in my bones that I would say things like that to anyone. Anyone. When I share things on social media, 
it's presenting the facts and it's presenting my feelings. But even my feelings aren't filled with such hatred that I would wish death upon another person or another population. And no one's talking about this because, you know, when you, when you talk to Jewish people, this is just not how we believe. And, and, and I, I just, I can't even, I can't even grasp the horrible things that are being said, not just to me, but to others. Do you think people as a whole understand the true nature of the problem? Is it more than just about land, for example? And if not, what do you want to tell them? I don't think that people understand the true nature of this problem because it is not about land. Anyone who is saying that it is about land is hiding behind that excuse. It is about a subset of people who want to completely annihilate another group of people. It's about turning the world on a group of people with such hatred at all costs, sharing lies, sharing misinformation, being one end of the scale, and sacrificing their own lives and the lives of their people being the other side of the scale. This isn't just about Hamas. It's about total Islamic jihad, and Hamas is just getting started with the Jewish people. I would encourage everyone to listen to Sam Harris's podcast about moral confusion. Barry Weiss reran this episode on Honestly with Barry Weiss, and it honestly should be required listening for every single American person and every single American person under the age of 24 who is marching on a college campus right now. The irony of this whole situation is that Israel is going to be the entity that frees Palestine. And they're going to free Palestine from Hamas. And they're going to free the rest of the world from the terror that will ensue if Hamas is allowed to stay in power on the Gaza Strip. Is there something about your culture or people that you wish people knew? This can have to do with any historical fact or relevant point relating to the culture. Jewish people believe in life. And we celebrate life. We celebrate life first. And even during a horrible time of mourning, which we call Shiva, like the one that every Jewish person is in right now, as we mourn the loss of the 1,400 people who were murdered on October 7th and those who are subsequently losing their lives defending their country, even though we are in a state of mourning, we will always celebrate life first. My daughter's bat mitzvah was just a few weeks ago after October 7th, and I was told by multiple rabbis that we have to celebrate and we have to make it bigger and better than ever because we celebrate life. And that that is something that I don't think people realize. We want to be alive. We want to live. We want to live peacefully. And this is part of our religion. We don't wish death or harm on anyone. And I think that it's really important to know that, especially when you are considering all of the horrific things that are being said about Jewish people right now. What don't we understand fully about Israel and Palestine and their respective functioning political systems? So if people think that what is going on in Israel and Gaza is just an Israeli or Jewish problem, you need to think again. Israel is the 
only democratic nation in the Middle East. It's the only place where women have rights, where you can openly be gay, and where Arabs live side by side with Israelis, and the laws apply equally to both of them. Look at what happened just a couple of years ago in Iran when women wanted to display their hair. Women were killed. They were jailed. They're not allowed to do that. My guess is that most people who are marching right now when they attend a pro-Palestinian rally don't know what they're marching for. My guess is that most liberal voters don't realize that everything they're going against by marching is what they vote for in every election. Equal rights, and this is for LBGTQ+, Asian, Black, the brown community. This is for women's rights. This is for the freedom to choose and have an abortion. Whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, you you can't make that decision in any of these Arab nations. Freedom of religion, freedom of press, economic freedom, and the freedom to assemble. The people who are marching that probably don't realize what they're marching for don't realize that if they were to go to any nation in the Middle East outside of Israel, you wouldn't have the right to march in the first place. You don't have these rights in Gaza or in any other Arab nation. So when you look at it, it isn't about the people the people marching, aligning with the Palestinians in Gaza. It's really the fact that this has opened the door and given people an excuse to unleash their hatred toward Jewish people. And if you are in fact a liberal and you do in fact believe in democracy, to be marching in a protest or a rally that is pro-Hamas goes against everything that you believe in. And I'm not sure that people realize that. How does religion complicate and or simplify this conflict? At the end of the day, we live in a world that is made up of so many different religions and differences that in actuality, we should be learning from one another, not fighting with one another. And while we may not have the same beliefs, we should all believe that everyone has the right to exist. And if we can all find a place to meet there, we should be able to come together to defeat the evil that is trying to overtake our ability to practice what we believe in. So when it comes down to it, religion and the freedom to practice whatever religion we believe in and choose to believe in really should simplify this conflict because there's no reason why we can't coexist on this planet. In a perfect world, how would this conflict resolve? Well, I mean, I think that when you look back at history and especially history in the last couple of decades, Israel's tried many times to institute peace offerings with the Palestinians. And in my opinion, this is my opinion, in a perfect world, I would hope that these two groups of people could in fact live side by side with a two-state solution. However, both groups have to want that. You can't make peace. I said this before, you can't make peace with people who don't want peace. And if one of the groups believes that the other should not exist and will continue to try to rid the world of them over and over and over again, a two-state solution isn't going to work. But why can that not happen? 
There have been seven peace offerings by Israel over the last 80 years that have been very generous towards the Palestinians and they've been rejected. You can't, I mean, when you look at life in general, big picture, I'm not talking about Israeli and Palestinian. Life comes with complications. Life comes with considerations for others. And you can't always get what you want, right? And this is an example where there can be a two-state solution. There can be peace, but both groups have to want that. And I don't think that one of them does. What is your greatest fear? My greatest fear is that Israel will not rid the world of Hamas. And not only will the Jewish people be endangered, but so too will many other groups of people. And my greatest fear is living in a world with total Islamic jihad. I mean, I I can't even imagine living in a world where myself or my children or our children's children don't have the right to choose what they're going to do with their body or don't have the freedom to read what they want to read or don't have the right to gather or can't work because they're a woman or they don't have equal rights because they're gay. I can't imagine a world like that. And when you look back at the Holocaust and you look back at what Adolf Hitler and his regime tried to implement with what they called the final solution. That's what 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 they were trying to do was called the final solution. When you look back at that and what they tried to implement so systematically, the reflection of what's going on in the world right now is so similar. And my greatest fear is that our world is not going to wake up in time to realize this. And final question, is there something that is giving you hope? There has been so much hate spewed at Jewish people in the last month. And truthfully, there are there's a subset of Jewish people within our religion who is so anti-Israel that they think that they align themselves with Hamas. But honestly, when it comes down to it, if Hamas prevails, they would be on the stake as well. But there has been so much hate spewed at us, so much more than I've ever seen before. But what has been inarguable is how quickly, for the most part, Jewish people have shown up for each other, have mobilized together, have put any differences within us aside to ensure that we are never erased. As I'm recording this, so many of my friends are in Washington, D.C., marching, marching for our freedoms marching for our religious freedoms and marching for the state of Israel. We know what is at stake. We know the history. We know that the Nazis tried to erase Jewish people. We know that 6 million people were murdered by the Nazi regime. And we know we can never allow that to happen again. And watching my community come together to ensure this and to take care of one another and to show so much love for one another has been something I've never been more proud of in my life. Never again is now. And you better believe we are not going to let this happen again. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode of We Gotta Talk. I'd love to hear what you think. Did this episode prompt any interesting conversations between you and family or friends? 
find me on Instagram at Sunny Abada and send me a message. Let me know. And as always, your ratings and reviews are greatly appreciated. Head over into the Apple Podcasts app, top five stars, and leave a review. See you next week on We Gotta Talk.